The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. The Pharisees went off and plotted how they might entrap Jesus in speech. They sent their disciples to him with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, We know that you are a truthful man, and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. And you are not concerned with anyone's opinion, for you do not regard a person's status. Tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it lawful to pay the census tax to Caesar or not? Knowing their malice, Jesus said, Why are you testing me, you hypocrites? Show me the coin that pays the census tax. Then they handed him the Roman coin. And he said to them, Whose image is this, and whose inscription? And they replied, Caesar's. And that he said to them, Then repay to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, and to God what belongs to God. The Gospel of the Lord. Ever since we began building the cathedral, it is said on campus that Western Boulevard is the dividing line between church and state. I think there's something endearing about that. But throughout the history of the church, there has always been a certain tension between the church and the secular government or even the religious government, between the church and the state. A certain tension that grows up over whose authority is preeminent. The church has always recognized the rights of the state within limits. The church recognizes the right of the state to make laws according to reason and the natural law. The church has always insisted that her authority is preeminent. Authority in both cases comes from God. It depends on how it is used. Do you remember that confrontation between Pontius Pilate and our Lord? And Pilate said, You will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have the power to release you and the power to crucify you? And our Lord, who is the prisoner, instructed the governor, you would have no authority over me unless it had been given you from above. Pilate needed that reminder. And so it is on through history. From time to time, the church will have to confront the state. 
There have been periods in history, of course, when the church really dominated it all. But the church doesn't really want to do that. That's not her job, ordinarily. It's her job to confront the state. For instance, in our own world. When the state makes a law permitting something that is gravely immoral, the church has to confront that power. If it's something that demands behavior, we have to disobey. If it's something that permits it, we have to reject it and do our best to overthrow it. Well, for instance, with abortion or euthanasia or assisted suicide or same-sex marriage, which doesn't exist anyway, can't. In all those cases, we have to reject what the, what the state has done and do everything we can to overcome it. That's the tension that exists. And the tension seems to be growing, not lessening, as time goes on. There was a time when, for the most part, most Western governments, including our own, were structured around the gospel ethic. The gospel was what was the basis for law, along with reason and the natural law, reason and nature. But as Bishop Sheen was fond of pointing out, we call that Christendom, and Christendom is dead. Today there is far greater hostility and tension than used to be. And we are the ones who have to take charge of its reconstruction. On the other hand, there's been a tension, as I said from the beginning, and today's gospel is about that. The Pharisees now enter in. For the last three weeks, you remember, our Lord was on the attack, so to speak, with the chief priests and the elders, the scribes and the Pharisees, talking about the kingdom of God and his vineyard and the marriage feast and who would not be allowed in and who would be rejected and who would be welcomed. But now, but now they counterattack. They've got to find some way to trip him up in speech to discredit him either before the Romans or before the Jewish people. And they decide upon the temple tax, or rather the census tax. There are three types of taxes uh, in our Lord's time. One was a ground tax, which was a tax on grain, wine, and oil. The second was an income tax, which was 1% of your income. A lot to be said for the Roman Empire. <laughs> and the third was the poll tax or the census tax that was uh, levied against every man and woman between certain ages. And that was the denarius, the coin of tribute. It was a Roman coin. It had to be paid with a Roman coin. It was worth about one day's wage. And so they come to our Lord, and first they flatter him. Notice that that never works with our Lord. Our Lord sees straight through us. But they flatter him. Um, They want him to think that at least they have some respect for him. Teach you, we know that you are a truthful man. They don't believe that for a moment. And that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. They don't believe that either. And you are not concerned with anyone's opinion. For you do not regard a person's status. So much for the flattery. 
Tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it lawful to pay tax, the census tax, to Caesar or not? If our Lord says, don't pay it, they can report him to the Roman authorities, to the governor, for inciting revolution. If he says, pay it, he's discredited in the eyes of his own people. Because after all, they were, they were, they were an occupied country. You and I don't understand that, do we? Here you had the people of God, not just a nation, but the people of God occupied by a pagan Gentile empire. They resented it, even when they collaborated, as the Sadducees did. Pharisees didn't, but the Sadducees did. Even when they did, they still hated the occupation. What will our Lord do? And so our Lord says, basically, he says, show me the coin that pays the census tax. Our Lord knows what the coin looks like. Everyone did. They show him the coin. Remember, when a king became a king, or the emperor became the emperor, the first one of the first things they did was mint coinage with their image on it and their inscription to show that the money really belonged to them. The other people could use it, but it belonged to them. And so they show him the, the denarius. And our Lord asks them the question, Whose image is this, and whose inscription? They reply, Caesar's. Remember at his trial in the Gospel of St. Luke, they accuse him of three things. We have found this man perverting our nation refusing to allow us to pay tribute to Caesar and calling himself Christ a king. He didn't, of course. His reply is, then repay to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, and to God what belongs to God. That's the perfect answer. Caesar owns the coin. Give it to him. Give to God what belongs to God. You and I then have to deal with that in our own lives, don't we? With that tension. I think, though, that we're often much more concerned about rendering to Caesar than we are to God. Caesar has more authority over us on a day-to-day basis, it would seem, doesn't it? Practically speaking. It's visible, tangible, even financial. God has no such authority. Or the church doesn't, rather. The church can encourage. The church can promote, the church can do many things, but the church doesn't have that same authority. Actually, her authority is greater, because we are called to something greater by the church, even though we don't always take it very seriously. It's true, isn't it? We're far more concerned about obeying civil law for fear of what happens if we don't than we are about responding to the kingdom of God responding to the commandments, to responding to heroic love. We can be very concerned about not showing up on time for some element of of the state, but mass, the sacraments, 
They're not so compelling, although they are what really constitute the kingdom of God. They are the preeminent call of our life, the call to God, the call to worship him. Everything else follows from that. It's one of the wonderful things about that painting again, the martyrs in the catacombs. There you see people confronting a hostile world, but knowing which was preeminent and willing to give everything they have for it. I said to our servers before we came in for Mass, we can be arrested for not paying our taxes. But we cannot be arrested for not becoming saints, at least in this life. Let us pray. Almighty Father, we come before you as the people redeemed by your Son and trusting in your love and mercy for the Church throughout the world. that She will always proclaim the kingdom of God, that her members will be willing to confront whatever authority would in any way compromise that, especially the church persecuted, we pray to the Lord. Lord, For all nations of the world, especially our own, they will respect the rights of the church, we pray to the Lord. Lord, For all those who are sick and suffering, that they may know that they are united to Christ in his love. For those who are greatly tempted, for those who have lost faith and lost light, we pray to the Lord. For an end to abortion, especially during this month of life, and for all threats to human life, we pray to the Lord. For an increase in vocations to priesthood and the consecrated life, those young men and women will be visible signs of the kingdom of God here on earth. For a greater reverence for the sanctity of marriage between one man and one woman and the single life, we pray to the Lord. Lord, For our bishop, priests, deacons, and seminarians, and for the American hierarchy, for having become holy themselves, they may then encourage others, we pray to the Lord. Lord, For the souls of all the faithful departed, especially our relatives, friends, and benefactors, for all who have died in the battlefield, all victims of violence, terrorism, and natural disaster. Eternal rest grant unto them, O Lord. May they rest in peace. May their souls and the souls of all the faithful departed. And for all of us here, that our lives will reflect our faith We may put our faith before all other things. We pray to the Lord. Lord, We now join our prayers to those of the Queen of Martyrs as we sing. (laughs) 